0: All right, welcome everybody again to another episode of the united bow hunter of missouri podcast here on the other end of the microphone today i have the one and only mr tim donnelly hello
1: <laughs> glad
0: to be here <laughs> we're glad to have you tim um i just wanted to start off what we what we're going to start doing is kind of ask about the history of each uh, person we interview kind of what got you started into bow hunting maybe your first bow some of your favorite hunts and another thing we want to hit with Tim Donnelly is Tim is an official Open Young Major and uh, there's a lot of cool things we could probably dive into there but uh, first of all Tim just how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine it's always a good time at the uh, festival here.
0: Yep yep again we're live at the festival I think several of our first episodes will be here uh, we went ahead and moved out into the lobby area to kind of reduce some of the background noise but uh, Tim tell me how did you get started into bow hunting?
1: I got started bow hunting in 1977 or 78 because I was tired of the crowds in the woods when I was gun hunting and I discovered that hey this archery season was almost 3 months long back then and uh, there wouldn't be anybody else out there with me. So that's what got me interested in bow hunting was just the fact that I could spend more time in the woods yeah, with less crowds and uh, more of a one-on-one type thing I also wanted the challenge gun hunting was getting to be if I could see it I could put the crosshairs on it and I could shoot it yep um, the uh, the challenge of archery close hunting uh, appealed to me the one-on-one uh, Challenge I guess you would say of trying to take an animal under fair chase conditions with just you and a bow and arrow was something that appealed to me
0: yeah awesome
1: uh, do you remember what
0: your very first bow was your first hunting bow
1: my first bow was an American uh, compound back uh-huh. then Americans not even in business anymore it was an American cheetah it, <laughs> it was a wood riser uh, and wood laminated limbs uh, That was right kind of in the peak of the uh, compound craze so uh, uh, I started with a compound I have always shot fingers Uh, Hmm. to this day I still don't feel like of course I'm shooting traditional now but uh, for me it's not a bow if you're not holding the string with your fingers so I shot uh, instinctively also the man that uh, started me in this, the guy that I bought the boat from was Gene Town, he owned a bow shop up in the Kansas City area. And he asked me if I wanted to punch paper, was the term back in the day, Yeah. or hunt, shoot animals. And I said I was interested in hunting. So he suggested that I uh, shoot instinctively, which there's some controversy on that instinctively or Point of aim, blah blah blah, but yeah. it is true, instinctive in many instances, and it was for me. Uh, I look at the target, I draw the bow, and and I don't take my eyes off the target, and I shoot it. I don't reference the point of my arrow to anything. But uh, uh, he likened it to throwing a baseball to somebody. Uh-huh. If they're standing twenty feet from you, you just know how hard to hard to throw it, to get it to them. And if they're standing forty feet from you. You do the same thing, and uh, by shooting the same equipment over and over and over and embedding that flight of your arrow into your mind, it gets to where it's, it's, uh, it's very, uh, uh, very accurate and it can be very deadly. Uh, but anyway, that's how I started. I shot fingers. I later went to a compound with pins, uh, but still shot fingers. I've now left the compounds with pins and uh, uh, am shooting traditional now for the past I don't know 14 years or so. I I tried it in the mid 80s, but I overbowed myself like so yep. many like so many people do uh, back back in the day. We were shooting 70 plus when our compounds. And so I had my recurve made a Black Widow that Mr. Ken Beck made for me in 1985. I had him make it at 70 pounds. He tried to talk <laughs> me out of it, but but I, I uh, said, no, I'm shooting 75. I'll drop five pounds. So I dropped five pounds, and I was overbowed. I did kill a little four corn with it that year, uh, but I, I sold it. And uh, uh, the next one I had made was a lot lighter.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, uh, uh, Bob Burns and I had just actually discussed this ourselves, too, that uh, he came from that era of everyone shot 70 pounds. Um, I remember reading in magazines when I was 16 years old, probably, so 2006, there were still articles being published that promoted that it's almost unethical for a traditional archery uh, individual to shoot anything under 60 pounds. And So I ordered, uh, I had an Earl Hoyt Big Sky Archery 69-inch, uh, 60-pound longbow, and I and I shot it at 16 years old, scrawny little arms. I figured out how to do it, but uh, we've learned, we've come a long way, haven't we?
1: Yes, yes, we have. I have. A- I actually have a, a black widow now that's a 40 pounder uh, at my draw length, which my draw length is about 30 inches. But i I had it made for uh, indoor shooting, and sometimes I will shoot an indoor tournament too now. And uh, you always hear about, like you say, the weight. Oh, well, you got to have a heavy pound bow to kill something. Well, I hunted. Uh, The year I got that bow, I hunted with it just to prove a point, and I shot an antelope in Wyoming with it. I shot a doe here in Missouri and an eight-point buck here in Missouri with that 40-pound bow. Yep. And every one of them (laughs) came home with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, Let me backtrack a little. I want to know, do you remember, you probably do crisply like any of us, your very first big game animal with a bow?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I should tell the story oh <laughs> no I can but um, my uh, grandparents had property in Osceola and Osceola Missouri and that's where I, I have done uh, the majority of my deer hunting <clears throat> but anyway I had a 52 Chevy pickup uh, I had been down there hunting at grandma's for the weekend my uncle was down there cutting wood and this was in 1978 and I was headed back to. At that time, I lived in Liberty, up near Kansas City, yeah. and uh, wife was with me, and we said our goodbyes, and we headed up the hill to lead. Grandma had a. She had a, basically a two-mile-long driveway. Yeah. Red rock gravel, and uh, uh, before you got out to the blacktop, there was another house on the road right as you got off the blacktop, and Grandma's was at the end of the road. But anyway, so we started out, well, we got right to the top of the hill, and I saw a deer standing in the woods on the one side of the road. So I slowed down naturally and came to a stop, and the deer would look at me, and it would look back the other way, and then it would look at me and look back the other way, and then I heard dogs barking. And I thought, oh, that deer is being pushed by those dogs. So sure enough, it starts walking toward the fence, to jump the fence and come out in the road, and it's limping. And uh, again, I you may have to edit this out. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, it was limping. And in my mind, I thought, okay, those dogs have got it once, and they've already heard it. I know a lot more about the deer hunting and dogs chasing now, fifty some years later yeah. than I did yeah. then. But you know, but I that was what I thought. I thought, oh, they've they've hurt that deer. And anyway, he jumps the fence. I say he it, no antlers. It jumped the fence and walked out in the road. Now you you got to remember, this is a two-lane red rock gravel. There's, no, yeah. it's, it's, there's brush three foot deep on the, in the ditches. I mean, it's, a, it's almost like a tractor road. But he jumps out there. Well, by this time, I already had my bow in my hand, which was in the back of the truck. So I got out and just reached over the bed of the truck. I got my bow. I got an arrow on. He stopped. I shot. Good chest hit, he ran, jumped the fence on the other side of the road and ran through the timber like there was nothing wrong with him, absolutely (laughs) nothing wrong with him. But he did stop out there after, I don't know, 60, 80 yards and I saw him fall. So I'll try to condense this back down to the house we go. I tell my uncle I've shot a a deer with my bow and uh, he's like, you're kidding. I said, no, I did. So we get the tractor, the trailer, we go back up through the pasture and into the timber to pick this deer up. Well, when we get close to it, we realize this doe has it's it's a, it has some other things that generally bucks only have. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I realize that it is a buck. It has fresh scabs on its head where it has just shed the antlers, and this was the last week of December, which is a little early. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, then when I grab the deer to move it around to to uh, uh, dress the deer, one front leg doesn't straighten out. It's bent and it stays in a bent position. It is dwarfed in size. Oh! When we clean that deer and I skin it, it has a load of number six shotgun ah. pellets in that shoulder. So that that. Buck had gotten too close to a uh, squirrel hunter at some point in time uh-huh. back in the day, and they thought they could drop him, but obviously they didn't. And uh, no telling how many years that deer had traveled like that. He could run fine. You did not see any limp, but when he yeah. was walking, he limped. And that's why I thought the dogs had had got him. Uh, I also uh, saved the jaw out of that deer, sent it into the conservation department at the time. And that deer was seven and a half years old. Wow, that buck was seven and a half years old, and uh, they were large scabs on that pedicle too. But I still have that arrow to this day, uh, oh, and that's man. that's the first uh, other than some bullfrogs at the pond and yeah. maybe yeah. A, a rabbit or two. But that's the first big game animal I killed. Uh, I realize it's maybe not quite as kosher as it's supposed to be, but uh, that was 1978, and I was whatever I was at that time 24 years old and uh, it was uh, it's uh, quite a story and one uh, obviously I've never forgotten.
0: Yeah, and it, it what what it did was it ignited something in you right when you watch that Arrow do what it's supposed, supposed to do. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, I I've always loved the flight of the Arrow. It just and a lot of guys say that and I guess it's cuz it's true. It's it, it just it, there's really not much any prettier than watching the that arrow fly where you want it to fly and uh, especially for me by doing it instinctively yes
0: yeah there's just something about that when you watch that arrow and you um there's just it's a there's a famous rocker who i think calls yeah. it the mystical flight of the arrow and yes he's yes. not really too far off there yeah um let me ask you uh before we move on i actually thought about this we may discuss uh you and i shared a hunt together once and we might just <laughs> briefly <laughs> cover that adventure um adventure it was what it was yes. yeah yeah um but uh our, when you think about the archives of memory and you've got a lot of experience uh i'm not trying to call you old i'm just saying you've done a lot of awesome things uh what are a couple of just the hunts that every time you think about it it's it, you think of that as the epitome of that was one of my ultimate hunts in life
1: well the first one that pops in my mind is my mountain goat hunt i hmm. hunted mountain goat in british Columbia. And uh yeah, yeah, that's that was a true hunt. Uh, up and down a mountain is uh, first off I don't uh, we drove, I don't know how many hours. I drove to British Columbia on my own uh, 40 hours and met up with 46 hours, excuse me, and met up with my guide, mm-hmm. and then me and him drove another, seven hours on past that it was like 53 hours of total driving but anyway then we flew uh, with a float plane we flew up to another little lake we were we were at Black Lake we flew up to uh, Moose Lake it was called there's probably a Jillian lakes called Moose Lake Um, in this I'll I'll pronounce this wrong Stikini Looking up on your map, Northern British Columbia Uh uh, Wildlife Area, and uh, then we took horseback ride for another three hours or so out into uh, put up a base camp, which we did at the base of a mountain. We drove, we drove, we uh, climbed the mountain the first day and came back down. Well, that about did me in. Uh, I was fifty something at that time. And i told mike i said i can't do that every day so he said no problem we'll go up the mountain and stay so the next day we uh packed our backpacks and up the mountain we went and there was times when i had to close my eyes hanging on the side of the mountain and (laughs) talk myself down you know because there was times you're you just i don't think i want to be here but anyway we got up there and oh. Other interesting fact. Before we headed up, I, I started grabbing bottles of water. Mike said we can't haul all that water up there. I said, "Well, what would we do?" He said, "We'll find water. There's water up there." So as what we found was glaciers from leftover from the year before. This was in September, um, and we would melt melt the snow and strain it through a, a uh, paper towel. We melted it on our little Bunsen burner and. Strain our drinking water through that towel for the four days we were on the mountain. But we went up and stayed on the mountain, and uh, so you could wake up every morning, unzip the tent, look out, and you could see mountain goats across from you. Uh, many times you would take off for them, and you might take you four hours to get to them, and then they were gone. But uh, I lost 10 pounds on that hunt. And I got the blisters on my feet, which made it difficult <laughs> but uh, uh it was a one of the most ad- adventurous hunts and the, the, probably my my most memorable I got the most out of that hunt. I did shoot a mountain goat at about 19 yards um uh, straight down the hill. Uh, we thought it was a young billy but it turned out it was a nanny without kids. Okay, but which is legal? Yep. But the uh uh, trust me, the nannies climb just as high as the billies do. Yes, yeah. And we were up on the very top, and she was coming up to us. And uh, as, like with with sheep also, and and uh, goats, they they don't expect uh, danger from above. Yes, yeah. So when you're above them, they're kind of mesmerized and confused. And she stood and looked at us, uh, and she stood there too long. So. Yeah. Anyway, but she, we shot her. She slid down, ended up in a crevice. Mike had to go down and get her. We had to ball her up in a ball and tie the, her horns up. with. Uh, we tied sweaters around them and everything else, trying to keep them from getting damaged. Then we had to kick her off the mountain. Oh, wow. And then we had to circle back down below and try to find her again, which we did, and it all turned out good, but uh, that would probably be my... If not my most memorable one of my most memorable hunts.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Do you remember what kind of bow you had on that hunt?
1: I was shooting a Hoyt. At that time, I was shooting for Hoyt. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I shot for Hoyt for nine years, and uh, I put sights on my bow during that time. I still shot fingers. Um, but, yeah, I shot for Hoyt for nine years, and then I started getting the traditional itch again. I, yep. I, uh, I went actually ordered uh one of my last bows i got the years that i got my free bows i got a Hoyt recurve and was like shooting a game master yeah, yeah yeah it was yeah. the uh it's not the game master but it's the same thing it's yeah el dorado or i don't think they're making that one anymore the name but yeah it's like the game master yeah metal yeah. riser the bridge metal riser and wood limbs and a. uh took it on a bear hunt in Alberta and killed uh, shot my first bear with my Hoyt recurve and then I mean a compound and then in uh, in Alberta you're allowed two bears shot the second one with my recurve and really the the, uh, second one was uh, actually bigger than the first one and he made Pope and Young book. The first one fell just just a little bit shy, but both of them were 300 pound bears. Oh, so that was my goal was to take the first one with the compound, and then once I got one, I, I'd hunt the second one with my recurve, and and it all worked out again. And that was a that was a very memorable and fun hunt too, for that reason, and uh, also for uh, fording the Firebag River on a on a raft and a pull rope. They had tied a rope up. And uh, you uh, you would drag yourself across on the fighting the current of the river, you know. On that's, your you that's put crazy. All, yeah, you put all your stuff on the raft, and then you pulled yourself across on the on the on the rope, and and pull yourself back across to get more stuff. And yeah, it was it was quite a, a yeah. fun hunt
0: too. Well, Tim, I thought every single one of these bear hunts that that a guy would go on that they drop you off in a Ford Raptor and you have air conditioning and <laughs> heated seats and they pull you right up to the tree stand and you climb up there and about three minutes later, a nice big bear comes in and you,
1: well, there are plenty of the, of those uh, <laughs> and, and don't shy away from those just because they are. And for just another side note here for any of you that's listening and don't think you want a bear hunt, bear hunt is, <laughs> is very fun. They're very fun. Um, I was invited to go on my first one in Saskatchewan and, uh, I thought, okay, they're going to walk up and stick their head in a bucket and eat some raw meat, and you're going to shoot them. What, what's what's so cool about that? But it is just being in the proximity of bears. Here in Missouri, we don't have to worry about anything like that. We have deer. We have turkey. You know, we have a coyote. That That's it. But when you're sitting in a tree stand and you don't even hear anything, and all of a sudden you look down and there's a bear standing underneath your tree, or you get two boars that come in on a bait and they're <laughs> circling and chomping their teeth at each other and growling. Uh, or you have a sow with cubs at the bait and you're trying to be quiet because you don't want those cubs overcoming up your tree because mama won't like that. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I, I've experienced so much. I've got so many memories of watching cubs play at the bait. Watching mama fight off boars, running the cubs up trees, watching two boars circle and, and dare each other, uh, uh, bait hunting for bears, plus the big woods, the boreal-type forest that you're in in Canada many times, you couldn't find a bear on your own. No, there's no way. You could, well, yeah, you've bear hunted, yeah. Ethan. You, you, could, you could walk for hours or days. And never hit a road so you have to do something to bring those bears to you i've also spot and stalked bears in british columbia for, really yeah for those that don't want to do a a baited hunt and spot and stalk bear is also it's very challenging yeah we uh, we uh, drive logging roads and glass clear cuts and mountain canyons and so on and so on. until you find a bear and then you from a distance you uh make a judgment on if that's a bear you want to go after and then you take off after him and it might be a mile and then once you get there it's you and the bear i i i had to take my boots off and put my wool socks on and tippy toe uh, i stalked this bear for over 30 minutes Uh, and ended up getting up within 20 yards of him mm. and taking him but yeah you have to you have to be quiet you have to play the wind you have to do all that stuff but so i've done both i've i've spot and stalked bear and i've also a bait hunted bear and both are very exciting if you get a chance to go on a baited bear hunt don't hesitate yes it is adventurous it is fun and truthfully bear hunts are still one that A guy can't afford some of these hunts nowadays. Are just getting so out of sight; they can't do anything with them. But if you want to save for a year or two, you can go on a bear hunt still. Yeah,
0: and it's it's definitely not a given. I was just uh, speaking earlier in the seminar about taxidermy care that uh, I got ignited with it in 2014. I just wanted to try bear hunting. I thought I'll go on one of these hunts. It was a baited hunt. I thought I'll just shoot one bear. I'll knock that off my list, and now it's it is my number one obsession. <laughs> I've, um, here I am nine years later. I've taken four bears, and if I if I had the choice, I would bear hunt every spring and fall if my if my checkbook would allow it. Yeah. Um, but uh, and when, this this could easily become a bear hunting podcast because I think a lot <laughs> of members of the UBM are are very driven by bear hunting because once you're hooked, um, I know the shakes that overtook me after taking my first bear. There's just nothing like it.
1: Yeah yeah it's it's so much different than our deer hunting here uh also i didn't think i had wolverine come into my bait oh wow i had wolves come into my bait uh martins uh yeah i mean it, it's just that boreal type forest and i don't know if that, that's exactly the right description but the big untouched yeah, timber that you see in canada it, it's just it's just amazing it's it's an adventure it is truly an adventure and the country that they live in is an adventure The
0: the northern woods are just something else to behold uh, yeah. i actually i was privileged to shoot a really pretty decent bear a few years ago tim actually scored it for the pope and young and for compton was one sixteenth shy of boone and crockett but anyway that's another story (laughs) um i'll I'll never forget when i when i came into that outfit and they showed me my own bait sites to set up my tree stand and stuff it was only 15 yards off of the main road and i thought it was a complete joke but once you just got over the little ditch into those dense pines you were in a totally different world secluded from all of everything and i'm going to guess your main road was probably
1: a gravel road yeah and in fact it was it had turned into a
0: two-track but it seemed so unrealistic to me you know yeah so.
1: it's it's uh it's different like say we can you can step off the road here in missouri and you can walk maybe you might have to walk 30 40 minutes or an hour maybe maybe and you'll but you'll run into another road yeah you can walk up there and you might not hit another road till the next day
0: if you take off in the wrong direction yeah it's 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 something and uh let me let me just ask you uh did you ever have a learning curve with uh judging bear size or have you always been pretty good with that
1: <laughs> well uh yeah there's definitely a, a curve bear are the worst creature when it comes to ground shrinkage yeah yeah they are absolutely the first one i shot um came in and and like so many i thought y'all that's a nice bear that's a nice bear you know <laughs> this was in Saskatchewan and i shot that bear and it ran off and when the outfitter got to the tree and we started tracking it we walked up on this dead bear laying there i wanted to say no that's not the one i shot because <laughs> <laughs> mine was big you know um this looked like a one of them little circular throw rugs that goes in your bathroom yep yep <laughs> but uh, it i don't know it was 110 or 120 pound yep. bear first one I ever shot though it's still mounted uh, in my house you know but um, when you do see a true 300 pounder or bigger you know you can tell the difference and you start learning the the things to look for the ears and the crease and the head and so on its so on, but but when you see a really big one yeah you won't be confused there's no mistake no, yeah. no you yeah. when it when you see a big one you recognize it immediately but those smaller ones will fool you and you think it's a big one yeah my very
0: first one in maine uh let me just backtrack when we were talking about the baited hunt again like you said it's an adventure to behold it's not it's not just uh i sat there three minutes later and that does happen sometimes you could especially up in canada dense bear populations you can jump up in a tree stand and have bears on you in an instant but uh like when i was in maine it took five days before i ever even saw a bear i read three books that week um it was awesome but uh, my first bear the same thing came in uh, I thought you know based on watching YouTube videos and all these things I thought okay this has got to be a 200 pound bear but it's a bear I'm going to shoot it I shot it we tracked it I heard the death moan, um, which is a very bittersweet moment mm-hmm. but it 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 adds another part of the whole equation so unique to bear hunting because you
1: know you know you got it success
0: has happened yes. you've made a good shot all yes. those things come into play and there's there's a little bit of a sorrow in it too but I heard the death moan, the 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 outfitter pulled up, we tracked it. Same as you. When we walked up, I just thought, this looks like a like you said, a little wet rug. And the first thing I said was the outfitter was, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And and he said to me, Hey, it's bigger than such and such. There was another guy in camp that had hunted yeah. with him the year before. So <laughs> there there
1: is quite the learning curve yeah, with they, that. They so. are. And and bears are hard to track too, again, in the forest that they're in. It, it's Some of it's mossy and blah, 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 blah. And their hair soaks up blood a lot. So if you don't make a real good hit on a bear, they're tough to find sometimes. Yes. They're tough to find sometimes. And they all, for any of you that are listening that have pig hunted, bears and pigs are very similar. Yeah. If you make a good hit on them, if you double lung them, you might see them go down. Yeah. They don't go far. If you don't, they'll go to the thickest, nastiest stuff. Just like a pig does,
0: <laughs> yeah well, we're gonna come to a stop real quick, quick and start recording again. All right, well, we are back. Uh, our current software allows thirty minute intervals, so uh, that's probably good for everyone listening because uh, I think both of us both of us can be a bit of a chatty Cathy. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, get me started, and I'll keep going yeah. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, we'll,
0: we'll kind of leave bear hunting, and we probably won't reference it much, but I did I uh, did mention earlier we had a javelina hunt together. That's how I first met Tim. Um, let's just say uh, another fellow UBMer and I, uh, Bo Johnston, were on that uh, UBM member hunt uh, down in southern Texas. I think it's like 11 miles from the border, and uh, Bo and I had it's gotten— that far? Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, it's and close. They, that could be a whole podcast. What goes on? yes in. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And uh, we we unfortunately didn't make the greatest hits uh, on a couple of javelina. They ended up in a cave. Um, we ended up. Uh, Tim Tim got involved and really came in for backup. And is there anything you would just want to reference to that? Well, yeah. I
1: can say you could spell out the whole thing. How long this took? I didn't even know you guys were down below me hunting. It's big country. Texas has got some really big country. But anyway, yeah, they they shot one and and it would. I don't know if you'd call it a cave it was an overhang yeah in a creek little bed, cavern basically, basically a dry creek bed that i'm sure in the spring maybe has a little trickle of water in it but it was back up in there what five six feet maybe more yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it went back up in there a ways and turned out there was three of them in hold three of them or four four, four. four of them yeah four of them holed up in there and you could hear them in there popping their teeth and <laughs> bo said well i've hit one and I'd I'd hit one one as well, yeah. So you know, we got down and and by now it's dark. It's you guys shot them about dusk, yeah. And so we're there with our flashlights and we're looking up in there. You can see eyeballs and you can see teeth and you can see hair (laughs) and you can hear you can hear teeth popping. But so uh, again, this for anybody that's hunted pigs or javelina, you'll understand. And for those of you that haven't, go do it. It's a lot of fun, but we ended up laying on our sides and shooting up under the uh yeah those bo- were to- totally
0: horizontal yeah and, and let me preface by saying we would have never done this with non-wounded javelina this was yeah, yeah this is yeah. this was an ethical dilemma that yes. we needed to do the right
1: thing we to needed these to try down. to finish this and put them out of their misery and uh, uh but yeah so we're on our sides and shooting up into that crevice and <laughs> we bent arrows, we broke arrows, and a uh, javelina we, came flying out yes, at us. <laughs> we had a couple of them come flying out between our legs, beside us, and uh, but we killed three out of the four. The one that got away was fine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess each one of us ended up with a with a, a javelina, and uh, just another tidbit. We did we rock paper scissors to see who crawled up in there? I think we did. Didn't well. We?
0: You know, I wanna say I'll give credit for Bo was well, probably Bo the first one <laughs> who got up in there. Um I, I had never encountered Havelina and uh I think his name is Gerald, right? Brian Peterson's old yes, friend. Gerald, yeah. He had warned me later that night at camp, he said that was not very bright because they are pretty feisty and I heard them pop their teeth and I kinda you know, it's a forty pound animal, fifty pounds max. You think to yourself, Oh, you know, what's he gonna do? Cute little guy and yeah and Gerald had actually tried to to close his legs in on and stop one that he hit with his longbow from running off and it chewed i mean the yeah. leg muscle off of his yeah. bone there they are i'm sure infection could be easily rampant with those animals yeah. so it was a lesson learned but Bo well, stuck his knew head at first one was
1: dead. at least we felt like it after after the couple ran out we got the other you know we weren't hearing anything we actually i think we flung another arrow up in there trying to hit it to see if yes. it moved you know, but we could see the hair we could see it laying up in there, but it's like somebody's got to go in there and get him and drag him out well, yeah, yeah, bow lost, so he was in all the way to a, to his calves at least and reaching up in there uh, but yeah, he got and he was dead, but he got yeah. him and drug him out. so we got three out of our three out of four of the I well, I
0: will say, you know, not to try to steal the spotlight here, but I was actually the one that at first uh poked in there. I had the last arrow, that's all I'm gonna say and uh that last pig was in there and he said just go for it we shot it It was it was bo's hog i shot it we thought that he had expired i crawled up in there and i remember you know probably shouldn't make or take life decision advice from bo johnson i'm just gonna be honest and he said go ahead and just poke it well i'm down in there and i'm i'm a bigger guy i can't just get out of there real fast and i poked it with the tip of the longbow and dust and snarling and growling i hit my head on the top of the cavern i flew out of there (laughs) And after the dust settled, then it was still edgy, but Bo crawled all the way up past his ankles and grabbed that thing. Yeah. And he, it, yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should edit this story out. But it, I don't know. But, you know, it's Bo hunting. It happens. Yeah. You know, and,
1: things like that happen. That, that's the stories. You'll you'll remember those. And for, for those of you that haven't caught on yet, if you haven't realized, I'm a the senior member of this talk here. And so I played the seniority card. I said, I <laughs> ain't I'm not going up in there. You guys can, you young guys can go up in there, but anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, let
0: me take a shift. Uh, Tim, when was it that you started uh, uh, as a measure for the Pope and Young? And
1: I started measuring for Pope and Young in, I believe it was 2001, I believe it was. Uh, I went to, people ask how you become a measure. You have to apply back in the Back then, you had to apply, and you had to have a sponsor. You had to have another measure or sponsor you. And uh, the closest uh, uh, workshop they were having was in Nashville that year. So I drove to Nashville from here in Springfield to uh, spend the three days there. Um, but anyway, yeah, in 2001, and then I started measuring for Boone and Crockett also in 10 years ago. 2013 2013.
0: So. okay and uh, has it taken have you ever been on a panel? Have you ever had to travel for it or
1: yeah I I was lucky enough to be asked uh, to panel in Dallas in 2013 and then again uh, on panel in uh, St. Louis in 2017. And for those of you that don't know, Pope and young and Boone and Crockett both ha- have have uh, conventions every two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pope and Young's every two years I think Boone and Crockett maybe every three years but uh, and at those conventions they ask for the largest animals that have been measured in that time frame the top three or five depending on how many they have to be sent in and then their panel measured there's like 20 some of us measures that are asked to be there and uh, uh your your big caribou, your big moose, your big whitetail, your big bear, whatever it is, they're all they're all sent in and they're panel measured by uh a group of measurers. If that measure month at the panel is with in it's like we don't know. They won't tell the measures just the just the Chairman, records. Chairman knows the actual percentage, but it's like one percent or less. If we measured at the panel and it's within the one percent of what the original measured it, or measured it in your kitchen or wherever he measured it, then that's the score that's accepted. If uh, it's off more than that, then the new measurement that was declared by the panel will be accepted, whether it be larger or smaller. And it can go either way sometimes, uh, especially on big non-typical white tails. Sometimes there's an interpretation that's that wasn't made correctly uh, by the initial measure, and like say, that stuff's corrected. But so yeah, if you're if you're asked to be on a panel uh, at the conventions, it's it's as far as a measure, it's it's an honor. Yeah,
0: yeah, I would imagine. Um, I don't know how much you know. You can speak about it, but I, I recently had a young man come into my taxidermy studio with a very large deer, and I couldn't even believe that score myself. I've just never even held a deer, a uh, big non-typical whitetail. Was that one a bit of a challenge? Um,
1: um, yeah, I, I scored that deer, but no, it wasn't really that hard. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, and I think it netted in the 180s, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it uh, if I remember right, it just was just shy for Boone and Crockett. Boone and Crockett's 185 uh for the awards program 195 for their all time okay uh both are both are always in the book but the awards program is only uh, uh in the book one time i got gotcha. the 190 if it's 195 it's a, if it's a all time it stays in the book forever but it's always in the archives it's still a boon and crockett animal yeah uh, anyway uh, yeah it was 184 something he felt just shy but it wasn't too awful hard to do uh it it wasn't of course the more you do them yeah easier it is i wondered yeah yeah it 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 wasn't terribly hard but it was a a very nice tremendous deer Uh, For i like to see guys obviously enter their animals um we could get into a whole controversy here yeah uh yeah and whatever a guy believes, I understand that, but these organizations, Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, Compton, uh, even our state organizations, United Hunters of Missouri, uh, all these organizations are out there fighting for our hunting rights. They're out there fighting for our seasons, the length of our seasons. They're out there hunt- or fighting for our public lands we keep losing public lands every year so by registering your animal with one of these organizations you help even if it's just your membership either your uh, your registration fee your forty dollar registration fee or if you go ahead and join the club if all you can do is give them your money each year do that do that so they can keep fighting the fight for us um, yeah you know and they you really nice certificate yeah they do i'm not making this up here <laughs> hey, they true. people don't realize we give scholarships to to people uh we uh we sponsor uh handicapped camps we you know i mean and and the national organizations like boone and crock and pope and young they're at the legislative level they're yeah. with these states they're fighting for your hunting rights And I get so many guys that are upset about the way the scoring system is. And I tell them, hey, you know, we know, uh, well, just like we got a big game coming up here with the Chiefs tomorrow. (laughs) You know, they know the rules of the Super Bowl before they kick the ball off. Yeah. And the rules of scoring are are just that. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's still a measuring stick. It's the best measuring stick we have um uh, don't let a few inches that you think you should have diminish the the magnificent animal yeah that you just that you just took in a fair chase situation because the whole purpose was from the outset both to
0: defend bow hunting to establish that bow hunting was a very ethical and effective yes. means of taking big big game animals yeah but it also is is for the utmost respect of that animal. Yes, you know?
1: pay it, pay tribute to that animal, and say, "Look at this magnificent animal that I shot." You're going to have a, a nice certificate to put on your wall next to your animal for your family and friends to go. Oh my gosh, that's a record book animal. So you know it serves a purpose for you too. But yes, the original, the original, original purpose of these clubs was to verify and convince the uh, the. Uh, Powers that be, that yep. that a bow game and, and arrow, yeah, yeah, was an ethical means of taking large game animals. So, anyway, that's my little spiel of a yeah a, of a Pope and Young Boone and Crockett. Um, if you're looking for a measure, just get on either one of their websites. Uh, they both have a way you can find the measures. They're all listed there. Find somebody close to you. Get it scored. Like say, give them give them forty dollars a year yeah if you kill an animal uh we spend more than that when we stop with the family at mcdonald's
0: yeah at this point yeah you know
1: give them some money you you know there's different levels of activity in a club you don't have to be a measure you don't have to run for office for some guys they do that you take somebody like ethan right here that's doing these podcasts for united bow hunters i mean you know you can get involved at different levels but if all you can do is give them some money each year please do that please consider
0: doing that yeah for sure um well let me uh i kind of have established kind of a template that i'd like to end most episodes with kind of your most recent story um in the woods maybe how did your last season this past season go um did you have any really memorable hunts or
1: well i did i did do something that i haven't done i've I've bow hunted in six decades now Wow. You, I thought
0: you told me you were 52. Uh huh. Well, I started in the <laughs> 70s.
1: So if you count decades up, some of them just two, three years. But, but yes, I've bow hunted in, in six decades, which is hard for me to fathom. And I did something this year that I had never done before. I killed a deer, I killed a buck with a longbow. Oh, wow. We talk about traditional bows, but my traditional bows are all recurves. Yeah. And I, uh, I bid on and bought a longbow last year uh, through a uh, wild horse Creek bows. I don't know if we're supposed to plug anybody or not, but have at it. Yeah. Great, great bows. Great bows. Every time I've tried a longbow, they always are enough lighter in my hand, physical weight. They feel I feel like they kind of jump. Uh, there's a little bit of a recoil, yeah. a hand shock, if you will. But Mike's bows don't seem to have that they shoot very nice so anyway he made made me a long bow and I dedicated this season that I was gonna kill a deer with it so I killed a, a, a two-year-old seven point with my long bow so I don't know how many years 40 some years forty-five, forty-six 46 years of bow hunting and seven different decades of or six different decades of bow hunting I killed a deer with a longbow this year so that was really yeah i i i, I uh, that was my goal this year and i did it uh, also shot a coyote this year with that bow also. really yeah, yeah that is something so, yeah yeah that's i guess my latest little goal that that, uh, that i did uh bow hunting is kind of a goal oriented it, it is yeah. yeah set some goals strive for those goals um bow hunting is very satisfying i hate to say sport it's almost more of a way of life if you do it your whole life Yeah. Um, but it, there's so much more to learn it's so much more challenging than, the, than a gun hunt and again i'm saying right here don't jump up and down gun hunters i'm not yeah i'm yeah. not saying anything bad about that but it's much more challenging to get within 20 yards of an animal compared yeah. to 200 it, yards it's, or it's so. a
0: different thing you know there are times i personally enjoy reloading and and rifle hunting myself right. too, yeah. but I—it's in my mind—it's two distinctive, different even activities, really. It when it comes down to it, so. it is.
1: I, uh, yeah, just that close proximity. It is so. I shot I shot a coyote this year at about fourteen steps, yeah. you know, and that's hard to get to be that close to a coyote and have them not know that. You know? Yeah, and same thing with a mature white tail buck. Uh, they're all. It's hard to be that close to a wild animal and and pull it off.
0: So, yeah. yeah. Uh let me ask you uh the uh, we, I also asked Bob and uh, Larry so far this weekend. What weight of arrow do you usually hunt with and what kind of broadhead have you been
1: leaning towards? Well, as you can see by my hat, I I, <laughs> yeah. I, I shoot zwickies and I have for many many years uh, I still shoot them but I'm also shoot I also shoot a grizzly. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the single bevel I've been using them yep. the last year. I remember years. seeing broken
0: wikkies or, or not wikkies but uh <laughs> Grizzlies, Grizzlies in a certain cavern in Texas. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: Um, my I like to sharpen my own broadheads. Uh, I know some guys don't do that or they can't do that. They haven't conquered that skill yet. Yeah. Sharpening can be a challenge, yes. but uh, yeah. uh, I don't want to spend you know forty five dollars on three broadheads and shoot them one time. So I shoot a broadhead that is durable and that I can resharpen. But yes, I, I shoot. Uh, Zwicky's for many many years, and now I'm shooting these grizzlies. I also shoot a heavy arrow still. I believe in the heavy arrow and the penetration. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> the old thing about momentum, you know, and and uh, you know your feet per second. I, I remember one thing from many 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 years ago that Gene Winslow said. Uh, I believe it was Gene. Don't quote me on that, but. Uh, and for some of you that don't know who the Winsels are, look up the Winsel brothers. But he said, which would you rather get hit by, a ping pong ball going 40 mile an hour or a golf ball going 40 mile an hour? You know, I'd take the ping pong ball because it's going to sting like the Dickens, but it's yeah. probably not going to break ribs and yeah. <laughs> bones. Yeah. And, but the, And so the heavier arrow I still think penetrates better. Um, so I still shoot a heavy arrow. My, my arrows are between six and seven hundred grains, and that's not as heavy as they used to be. When I was shooting my compound, I shot a seven over seven hundred grain arrow. But oh wow! Yep. I'm not shooting as much poundage as I used to shoot, so I can't shoot as quite as heavy an arrow. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I still shoot a six hundred grain arrow. Yep, yep,
0: yep. Where so far, everyone so far this weekend is between six and seven hundred grains. It's yeah. just a
1: good and and most of your compound shooters are shooting uh when i score a deer for somebody they have to have their arrow weight and their split yeah and many of them are in the 300s and they've killed that deer obviously and shot clear through him in many instances it's just kind of a different uh belief or feeling yes uh, the flatter trajectory helps in in many instances and it
0: such it just sets you up for success um in most we all know it's shot placement when it yes. all comes down to it, but yes. uh, you know, especially with a traditional traditional equipment, it just makes more sense to the logical mind. Why not have momentum on your side?
1: And uh, uh, I think I think maybe some of it too. These the new compound shoots so fast; it's hard to see the arrow sometimes. Yes, it's yeah. literally hard to see the arrow. And if you're shooting traditional equipment instinctively, you know, without a pin side, obviously. It, you know you need to see that arrow flight
0: yes and yeah uh,
1: but yes it it does if you were shooting uh that heavy of arrow with a compound your pin gap is going to be much it much, is yeah, <laughs> wider than it is with the 300 grain arrow i, I understand that but uh, for traditionalists it most of us still want a heavier arrow
0: yeah yeah and, and i will say i think the trend is there's a lot more education out there um i know amongst my friends a lot of compound shooters are now Kind of leaning back towards that 450 to 550 grain range, um, and they're seeing great results in it, especially for for whitetail hunting. Um, especially if you're hunting Iowa heavy midwestern game, there's a difference between a Southwest Missouri deer and, and a a Northern Iowa deer. Yes, it's a it's almost a different animal. And so. uh,
1: take an animal like a moose, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, you got to think about all that stuff if you're. But yeah, if you're hunting moose, I don't know that you want a two blade rage on a 300 grain arrow yeah you know and not saying you can't do it but it's it just you can't do it. Yeah. just yeah. just set yourself up for success yeah. so. explore all your options
0: yeah well uh let me ask you do you have any parting thoughts or you know things do, what do you think about the current state of the UBM and where we're headed and...
1: i think UBM is it's a great organization uh we have actually i'm going to go ahead and say we have two state organizations here in missouri yeah. we have yeah missouri bow hunters and it is actually older than the ubm um ubm was actually a a spin-off of uh, mbh uh, but i i hesitate to say as you can tell i hesitated yeah uh ubm is i think uh, probably the more active club yeah. they deal more with hunting aspect um MBH does do some art or some uh, indoor shoots and things yeah. like that, and that's all great. Yep, it's awesome. 3D, 3D's and so on and so on. But UBM is a bunch of hunters. If you're interested in hunting, uh, you you can hear all the stories. You can glean a lot from these stories. You can learn a lot. There's a lot of my age guys in here, which I might as well tell you, I'm 68 years old. <laughs> uh, you know, guys that have been doing this a long time. Back before we had all this technology, yeah, uh, archery has been so important in my life. Um, my my son does it. My grandsons do it. You know, uh, it 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 it's something you can do with people, yeah, or it's something you can do totally by yourself. It's very challenging and it's very rewarding. Uh, you also need a ethics you need a yes you need to have a good moral compass there's always guys in every sport that don't have doesn't have that but you're all by yourself nobody's gonna know if you shoot a little bit after shooting light nobody's gonna know if you take that seventh squirrel when you're only allowed six nobody you know but you're gonna know yeah yep and it gives me and most bow hunters, a great amount of pride to know that you did it right. Yes. Um, uh, if you're considering bow hunting as a as a sport or as a way of life, I say go. You won't you won't regret it. Not at and all. And if you don't want to bow hunt, if you just want to shoot the bow, for women and kids, you can do that. You can do that. There's shoots all over that you can go to, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of guys that do that. A lot of Women don't wanna hunt. They they may not want to hunt. They just wanna shoot the bow. They enjoy seeing Mm -hmm. that flight of the arrow that we started this show with. Yeah. They enjoy seeing that. And they love the camaraderie and they love the the competition. Yep. Go to a shoot. And that's another plug for our
0: our, uh UBM rendezvous in June that will be up in uh Marshall, Missouri again. Yeah. And uh it's just a lot of time it's a huge family event, uh old and young come together and shoot the three man skirmish and it's awesome, but I, I will say the UBM, it it just, when you walk in, I walked in the doors, I think in 2015 to this very festival, and uh, you just knew you were with a class of people that were like-minded. Regardless of whether you did shoot a compound or you shot a traditional bow, you knew that we were all on the same page. We, we want to do the right thing in the field, and we want to uh, propel forward this sport that we love so much.
1: Yeah, and we should clarify that. Uh, many people think that the UBM is just traditional only club, but it's not you're welcome with a compound and yeah i mean it's open to everybody but we do have a large contingent strongly of yeah traditional and shooters. it's
0: probably just by nature you're you hang around these guys you're going to see <laughs> there's just something attractive about a traditional bow and you're going to say hey i got to try that out and, it's yeah, gonna and hook
1: you, you. you get that wood riser in your hand uh, i mean they just feel different than the metal compound i don't know yeah, they're, they're, it does. they're much yeah. more personal you can have one made yeah. you know all of my all of my recurs have names i yeah. named them all, you know, <laughs> and you just don't normally name your compound, but anyway.
0: Yeah, well, Tim, thank you for uh, taking your time this afternoon, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a privilege. Ethan, thank you for
1: asking.